Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. of our legacy series. I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, Real quick, again, if you were not here last week, let me go ahead and talk to you guys in particular here, and then we'll just, for everybody, it'll just be a little bit of a rehash. If you were not here last week, what we shared was this, is that God has given us what we believe is a legacy moment and a legacy opportunity. Uh, We were approached late last year about the possibility of buying the building that we are in right now. If you don't know this, we we actually have a lease across the street, and then of course we lease, we have a Sunday morning lease here, and we've been doing this since, what year is it? Oh, nine. We started in this building in 2009. And crazy enough, I didn't tell anybody this last year, but I've actually had this conversation with Wayne, the director of the facility here, and basically there has been a church meeting in this building within months of it existing as a building. This church, every Sunday morning for years, has been a place of worship. It's just, it's a, I, don't, I don't want to lose that. And so basically we were approached and we were approached with the opportunity that said, hey, we think we're going to sell the building in about three years. Are you interested in buying it? And the answer was, of course, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, and I told him, I was like, I, don't, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if we can, but I mean, I want to. And, and really what this did was it took us as a church onto a, a kind of a, a discovery of like facts and details and information and talking to real estate people and bankers and construction people and on and on and on and on. And everybody was on board. Everybody, board members, everybody was saying, yes, this sounds good. Yes, why not? It's obvious. And, and, and there was a banker who asked me this question, why do you want to own the building? And I hadn't thought about it beyond the obvious, you know, beyond the, 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 the simple like, yeah, of course, and this and Think about all we could do midweek or expand this or create this for children or for teenagers or, or just there's no more setting up and tearing down this or, you know, all, all these great options. But what the Lord put on my heart was this, and it was an inspirational moment. And it came to me just literally as I'm on the phone with a banker in L.A. And I said, you know what, I, I, I want to buy this building because I want to set up our church for generations to come. Like, it's not just enough that we have a great fellowship of faith and community of believers and all that. It's just not enough that a church kind of rises in one generation. And then just, But I want to set this church up to where, like, long after I'm dead and gone, this church is still reaching people for Jesus. This, still, this building is still a place of worship. This, this is still a body of believers that continues to help change lives and restore marriages and teach children the Bible and I mean, on and on and on. I want this church to be a legacy church. And here's the deal. We've been given this opportunity. Now, here's the deal. It's a huge opportunity. It's an opportunity that really is beyond us in terms of our capacity. Nobody would say, yeah, I don't know, but, but here's the deal. I kind of like to believe this idea of, you know what, God is still in the miracle working business and there's nothing that's impossible for him. As a matter of fact, somebody asked me, you know, what did, what did God say to you when, when, when you have these thoughts of like looking at all the details and what I told her was this, is that God told me axe heads don't float. And there's this Old Testament story about a prophet and a group of guys and they're actually building a, a building, funny enough. And as they're building the building, they're chopping down wood. And the guy, one of the, one of the young like, students, as he's chopping down wood, he breaks his axe. And the axe head falls into the river. And he can't find it. So he calls the prophet over. And the prophet's like, hey, what do you, what do you need? What's up? He goes, well, here's the thing. That axe head fell off into the water. I can't find it. And by the way, I borrowed it. So I'm really in trouble here. Can you help me out? And the prophet takes his staff 
and he sticks it in the water, and the axe head floats to the top. It's just one of these weird, miraculous, only an Old Testament prophet would pull something like that off that, or Jesus, you know. And, and, and that's the story. And the reality is, is that axe heads don't float. I don't know if you know that or not, but they don't float. Right, we just started doing physics and science, and Bill Nye got up here. He would tell us axe heads don't, don't float. And it's true, axe heads don't float until God gets in and does something that somehow defies the laws of physics and, and changes and steps in and intervenes. And really, that's the reality is, is we need something incredible to happen. And we're going to go ahead and put our faith out there and give our best and do our best. And so here's what I really need you to do in light of all this is, number one, I need you to pray. Like, that is the most important thing that you can do, because if, if we don't have God, we have nothing. We, if we don't have God, we might as well be the Elks Club, and God bless the Elks Club, but that, that ain't us. And, and so we need, here's the deal, if you have a building and you don't have God, you got nothing. You got bricks and stone, you, you got nothing. So we need you to pray, and I need you to pray over our church and for its, its blessing, its favor. As a matter of fact, I've been praying um, for, for really since this idea got introduced, I've been praying the prayer of Jabez over our church, which is this really unique prayer that I taught on last year. And it goes like this. Lord, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. May your hand be upon me and keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. And I just decided I was going to change the words just a little bit. I hope God's not too mad at me about that. But I just started praying it for our church. God bless us indeed. Like just bless us. This is what Jabez prayed. And the funny thing is that at the end of the prayer, God's like, wow, I really like this guy. I'm going to actually honor his prayer. So I just thought, well, if, if Jabez can pray it, then I can pray it. So God bless us indeed. What God, what if you enlarged our territory? What, what, if you, what if your hand was upon us and you kept us from evil that we might not cause pain? Like, God, this is what we want. And we just see the building as a resource and as a tool and as an opportunity to, to have a place of worship, to have a place to honor God, to have a place that keeps on changing lives long after you and I are gone and are hanging out with Jesus. Can I get an amen? That's our legacy. So we need to pray. Number two is this. Is, this is the deal. Whenever we, we talk about a, a building like this, we have to, as a church, launch and kick off a capital campaign, a building campaign. You've maybe heard it, a building, whatever. It, there's a number of different names for it. We're calling this our legacy campaign. And in this legacy campaign, what we're asking you to do in, in a way that we have never asked before. I always encourage people to do tithes and offerings, and here's why. Because that's what the Bible teaches, and I think that that type of generosity and faithfulness to God, that's good for your soul. That's just, I mean, across the board, that's just good for you. It's good for your soul. It's good for your heart. It's good for everything about you. It's good to open up your life so that God can bless you even more on and on. And this is a little bit more than that, though. This is us asking you to go above and beyond your normal giving, and for, for you to do that, you'll have to consider your finances. And the question that I really am daring you to ask yourself is this, is God, what would you have me do? What should I do? What could I do? What would you have me do above and beyond my normal giving? Because what this type of undertaking really will require is for us to get creative, resourceful, and sacrificial in all of our finances and all of our giving. Because here's the deal. This legacy moment is not my moment. This is our moment. This is a moment for new beginnings as a church and as a collective. And so Here's a couple of dates I want to throw at you real quick here, and then we're going to jump into today's message. Number one is this. is March 5th is a pledge week. Now, next week, I'm going to give you a card. It's just a pledge card, and it'll explain kind of what you can do and how you can think and pray about all that you have going on. And on March 5th, what we're going to do is at the end of that service is create an opportunity for you to come actually and bring your pledges. And what you're pledging is this. It's a three-year campaign. 
Now, some people have asked me, well, I have to do this for three. It, it, there's nothing absolute about this. This is not like, I'm not the IRS, okay? I'm not going to track you down and be like, hold on, right here. Remember that million dollars you pledged? I need that. It's due. It's, it doesn't... This is about you and God. And you looking at your finances and you looking at what you can do as an individual, as a family, as a couple, however that works for you, above and beyond your normal giving. And this is what you'll pledge, whether it's we're going to do this much per month, this much per week, this much. Some people look at it quarterly. Some people I know look at their stuff annually, depending on how your finances work. You just look at annually, what could I do? And so, but that's up to you and between you and God, and that's the pledge that you will make. And that's important for us because it helps us to really kind of get a measure of, of what we're believing for, what we're, you know, trusting God for, what we can begin to plan for, things like that. The other date that's really, really important is March 19th, which is this. It is what we are calling our Miracle Offering Sunday because to launch this, I kind of described it like this. When you need to put a rocket in space, you need a big boost to get it going. And this is our big boost. This is our launch. This is our kickoff. And what we want to do is, is on March 19th, is I'm asking everybody, and me and my wife are in on it just like you are, we are asking everybody to basically be able to, to, to put together their best single offering to do something miraculous on that Sunday, March 19th. And then after March 19th, that's when our pledges would be coming in at that point in time. And so that's our, that's our legacy campaign. That's how it's going to work. Not only on that, but this will become an anniversary date even. So because it's a three-year campaign, this is not something we'll just do once, but every year we'll come back around this. And anybody that's new to our church or wasn't able to pledge in year one, then, then it's a re-up opportunity. But it's also an opportunity for us to get again together and say, you know what, let's do our very best on that anniversary, March 19th. And again, we are going to do our very best, and we're going to basically put everything out there where we can and trust God to say, you know what, this is our legacy moment. We'll step into it, and God will do whatever we can do and we'll trust you to make up the difference. Can I get an amen? And that's our legacy campaign. And this idea of legacy is all throughout the Bible. And, 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 and I really just thought, you know what? Not only do I want our church to have a legacy, I want you to be a legacy-minded person. I want you to think about this, this fact. Outside of your children, there's really nothing that you're going to leave in this earth that outlives you with any real significance or meaning. But God actually wants you to begin to think legacy. As a matter of fact, one of our key scriptures, and it's, and it's been on a few different places, is this. Is that a righteous person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. That they're just legacy-minded. They don't even think about their kids. They think about their kids' kids. They think about the future. And what I'm going to show you today is huge. As a matter of fact, let's look at the scripture together real quick here. Psalms 112 says this. It says, Good will come to him who is generous... And lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely, everybody say surely. surely. Y'all remember that from airplane? Don't call me, don't call me surely. Surely he will never be shaken. I want you to look at and put this all together. That, that there's this idea that the world around you can be shaking. And that do you ever notice this? This is kind of frustrating about God, is that God doesn't stop the shaking around you, He just makes you an unshakable person. Now, I don't know about you, I want God usually just to stop the shaking around me. But He doesn't usually comply with those types of prayers and requests. But what He does is He fortifies in me who I am in Christ, who God is, and He fortifies something in me that makes me a legacy person, and I won't be shaken because that righteous man will be remembered. Everybody say forever. God is wanting you and I to live lives that so reflect his nature and character and goodness that so step into his calling and purpose and meaning for our lives that there are things that you will do 
that will completely outlive you. That's what legacy is, as we talk about legacy. This is the idea that a legacy is living so that my life outlives me. Outside of our kids, what are we going to do that actually outlives us? What are we going to do? And and today, here's what I want to do is I want to walk you through as your pastor. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to be held accountable for how it is that I pastor people. So when I get to heaven, I'm just going to stand before God, and God's got some things that like, I'll have to like stand there and like, did you, did you, this, this, this? I'll be like, yes, no, whoops, sorry, please forgive me. You know, so today I want you to know that I'm going to take a huge step as your pastor in making sure that you are fully prepared and fully equipped for really having a legacy life and really what we'll call the eternal legacy. Because here's the deal. When you die and you go to heaven, you will experience some level of judgment or test. Everybody say test. How many of you like test? Very few of you. Okay, so good. So most of you are with me. I didn't like test. How many of you, how many of you like school? Wow, okay. I like school, but I like school for other reasons, you know, not because of the schooling, but school is just kicking it with my friends or having fun or, you know, whatever it is. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out real quick here because you're going to take a test and I want you to know that I need to prepare you for that test because there's nothing worse in life than having, y'all remember like pop quiz? Did y'all ever like show up and the teacher's like, all right, put your books away. You've got a pop quiz. And you're like, wait a minute, but you didn't tell me. And that's the point of a pop quiz. This is not a pop quiz that you will get when you die. But it's also my job to prepare you that even though it's not a pop quiz... Let let me me do this. When when I was a kid, I was terrible at testing. And let me put it like this. When I was a kid, when I was really young, when I was in middle school, I was like like summer school kid. Anybody summer school kid? Yeah, yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'm not alone. And it's not that I was dumb. It was that I couldn't sit still. In class, so like I literally was bouncing off the walls and couldn't stop talking and couldn't sit still. And so it wasn't that I was dumb, it was just that I was just spastic. <laughs> and then, and so I was always in summer school and always never doing good on these tests. And then when I got to, um, to high school, I noticed that some kids were spastic. They, they were prescribed medication. I prescribed myself medication <laughs> that mellowed me out. And, and so, you know, I went from spastic to dazed and confused because... Because it mellowed me out, but then I couldn't pay attention that way either. And no matter what, I, w- I, so from, from, I went from a summer school kid, and I think my high school teachers just didn't want to see me again. So they passed me with, like, I remember passing geometry. You know, like geometry? I passed geometry with a 69.5, people. I mean, like, and I think that teacher lied. I think that teacher will stand before God and give an account for, for how, well, they, they helped me, though. So maybe God will bless them because of that. But... But I never liked tests. Now, I'm going to tell you this, though. When I was a junior, I finally figured something out. Um, Now, students, be careful what I say here. So what I figured out was I had a history teacher, and and she was the sweetest old woman in the world. She was so kind. She loved me. She was like that grandma kind of teacher, just so wonderful. And, And she would give us what was going to be on the test, in advance. And I thought, this is awesome. Because all them pop quiz people got up on my nerves 
Or I just wasn't paying attention. But, but like all of a sudden, my history teacher, she would tell us what's going to be on the test. And this is what I learned, too, because I, I had a friend that taught me how to cheat. And so, so what I would do is I would take all the things that I knew were going to be on the test. I would go into the history book, find them, and then write them down. And then I would use that because she couldn't see. And so, so I just had like this kind of cheat sheet for like taking tests. But what I realized was I learned something about me is that when I actually went and read the material and then wrote it down, I remembered all of it, and I didn't even need to, like, I didn't even need to cheat anymore. I didn't know, I didn't know that if you actually read and then wrote stuff down, because nobody taught me how to study. Isn't that crazy? It, listen, listen, students, if you will actually read stuff and then write it down, it'll get stuck in there. It's crazy. So anyway... All that to say, I learned something profound, that if I knew what was going to be on the test and I went and dove into it, it's, it stuck. And then in between my junior year and senior year, I, I became a Christian like Jesus absolutely radically changed my life. So I went from being a D student to like all of a sudden I'm an honor roll student as a senior because mainly because of Jesus. And then I had learned that if I'll just read something and then write it down. I remembered it was, it was, it was life-changing. And so I went on to Bible college as a really good student in Bible college. And so I'm not stupid. I just want y'all to be, like, comforted. Y'all are like, y'all are like my, yo, my pastor's an idiot. No, I promise. I'm, I was always really smart. I just didn't. I had other issues. So the, the point that I'm making is, is that whenever in life you have a test, you're always better off if you know what's going to be on the test, Right? So what I'm going to do today is prepare you because when you get to, get to heaven or when you get beyond this life, you're going to go before God. Let me read you the scripture here real quick here. Romans chapter 14 verse 10 says this. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Meaning like, be careful how you treat other people. This is a big deal. It might even be on the test. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Now, this doesn't sound great, because many of us start thinking about all the stuff that we did that where it was bad, and all that, you know, we're like, but look, this is, it'll, it'll work out good if you just listen to what's going to be on the test, and then look, look, look into it. Does that make sense? And so here's the deal. I want you to know that when you get to heaven, or when you get past this life, that there is a two-question test or judgment that you will have to pass through. And again, as your pastor, I love you, and I'm here to prepare you, so you're going to be all set. Are you ready? Everybody got, y'all need to write this down. Remember what I said. This, this, is the, this is the most important thing I can give you. Number one is this. The first question that they're going to ask you is ultimately this. What did you do with Jesus? That's the question. Like there's something about how you respond to Jesus that is the utmost importance to God. Because I don't know if you can say, but God sent his son into the earth to die for your sins, and he wants you to now respond to that incredible gift of grace, and how you respond to that is the biggest question that God's going to want to know. I'll show it to you. Watch this. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. So this is the theology behind it. This is, this is rich right here. In the, in the book of Revelation, John's basically describing a picture that he saw. It's this, 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 the revelation, again. Then I saw... It's an image, it's a vision. I saw a great white throne. That's why they call this the great white throne judgment. There's another one coming. Remember, it's two question test. But this is the first one. I saw a great white throne and I saw him who was seated on it. 
The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. So he's again, he's seeing a vision. He's like, everything gets wiped away, but this. And then after this, I saw the dead, great and small, everybody, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Everybody say books. You got to put that S on the end. That's important. Everybody say books. The books were opened. And then there was another book. Everybody say book. There's no S on that one. There's, there's different books, and then there's a book. Are you following me? So another book was opened, which is called the Book of Life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, here's, this is called the Lamb's Book of Life. So other places in Scripture it's talked about the Lamb's Book of Life. This is Jesus' book. And so what he's saying is this, is that ultimately when you die and you get beyond this life, that you stand before God and there's a set of books over here and then there's a book over here. And then basically the question is, is and I don't know exactly how this works, so this isn't like absolute. It's something like this, though. Based on a whole bunch of Scriptures, it's really, really got to be close to this. It's what did you do with Jesus? How did you respond to Jesus? Where is Jesus at in your life? Because the Bible says that when you respond to the gift of God's grace, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Now, here's the deal. You're going to be judged based on what you did, right? Can you throw that last scripture back up there? You're going to be judged. The question will be, who is God looking at when he judges you? Because remember all these books? Everybody say books. So these are the books that have recorded all of your deeds, good and bad, all the stuff that you did. How many know you got some years where it's like a little thicker than others? And you're like, ooh, that's a, I remember those years. So you've got some things that you've done. You've got some things that you'll have to give an account for. Now, here's the deal. If you didn't respond to Jesus, then you just get judged according to what's in the books. Now, I don't know about you. I don't want anybody opening that books. I don't. That should be thrown away and burned. What I really want is for my name, because here's how it in essence works. You're going to be judged either according to Jesus' works or your works. I'm taking Jesus. Because, and this is, if you don't, God doesn't, the Bible says that God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. God, God never created hell for people, and hell's not something God delights in. Hell is just simply people who said, I don't want God, so I don't want to go there. And I want to give an account for all my deeds. That's what hell is. Because the Bible says that sins must have justice. God's holy and righteous and justice and all those things. So God's like, look, this is the justice system. And I'm really tipping it towards your favor if you'll just trust me here. If you'll just go with Jesus, I'll judge you according to his life. But if you just don't want God and you want to reject God and you say, no, I really want to stand on my own merit and all my goods and bads and all that stuff, he goes, that's fine. You'll just be judged according to your books. And hell is you basically paying for your sins because you didn't want Jesus to pay for your sins. Are you, you, I'm just going to encourage you real quick here. When it comes to this part of the test, you go with Jesus. Can I get a... So the answer is ultimately, watch, watch this, because the answer is this. The question was, what do you do with my son Jesus? The answer is, is I know him, and he knows me. That's the answer. So when you get to heaven, and the question is, is hey, what did you do with Jesus? Well, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm with him. That's what you say. Well, what about your works? I not, don't want to take account for those. Jesus 
died for all those things. I'd like to just go with Jesus because I know him and he knows me. And he knows me. Let me give you an important tip about life and about how you get to heaven. You can't get to heaven based on how good you are. You're not good enough. You can't get to heaven or you don't, you don't, you don't go to hell because you're so bad. We're all bad. Does that make sense? You don't get to go to heaven because of what you know. Well, Todd, have you seen my attendance at church? Look, y'all are Californians. Nobody's doing great in this room, okay? I grew up with a Bible belt. You know, like y'all, y'all, y'all are y'all, a little bit behind the curve there. So, so you're not getting to heaven based on your church attendance record or showing up on time for that matter. You're not getting to heaven based on how many Bible verses you can quote. or You're not even getting into heaven based on how many good deeds that you had. That's not how you get into heaven. Let me put it like this. You don't get there because of what you know. You get there because of who you know. Yeah. See, now in life, sometimes we like that and sometimes we hate it. Because when you get hooked up because of who you know, you're like, yeah. You're like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And every once in a while you see somebody else get ahead and you're like mad. You're like, well, they only got ahead because their boss is the uncle. And they look back at you and go, hey, it's not what you know. It's, who, it's who, who you know. See, you like it or hate it depending on where you're at in the circumstance. But I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to heaven, it's based on who you know. Now watch this. I'm going to give you one more scripture. This is so powerful. Matthew chapter 7 says this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that's interesting. But... Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many are going to come to me on that day, this day of judgment, and say, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Look at my deeds, look at my dues. Did we prophesy in your name? We drive out demons in your name? We did all these miracles? All these, we, we were doing everything that we thought we should do because we were all about the doing. But Jesus responds and says, yeah, but I don't know you. Look at this phrase right here. So do you get into heaven based on how good you were? Does anybody go to hell because of how bad they were? No, it's simply because you decided, I don't want God. I'll stand on my own two feet and give account for all of my deeds. That's, that's it. And as your pastor, I'm just telling you, the most important thing that you can do in your life is have a personal relationship with Jesus. It all starts there because it's up to you to make sure that you know God. And that God knows you. And that there is a relationship there. That's the most important thing that I can do to help you pass that first test. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus. It is the most important thing. Somebody say amen. amen. So check this out. So the next question is not, is not this. Because there's again, there's two tests. And so one is called the white throne judgment. That's where it's, 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 it's Jesus or bust. The second one, this question goes like this. What did you do with what I gave you? Because there's a second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's a different judgment. And so this one really comes down to the question, what did you do with what I gave you? I'll show you. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. 4. We must all appear before what? The judgment seat of Christ. This is different than what John was talking about. So that each one may receive what is due for him, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, because here's, here's the, the weird part. It's not like your life doesn't matter. It's just about Jesus and, and that, that's the only thing that matters. He goes, no, that's not how it works. That's just getting into heaven. That, that's, that's part one. The second part of the test is, is what did you do with what I gave you? Because you will stand before Jesus and give an account for the things that you did do. 
That is the second part of the question. If you don't, Watch this. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will what? Reward each person for what they have done. As a matter of fact, this was, this was what was called like the, the, the judgment was called the Bema in the Greek. And it literally, part of it is, is that God wants to reward you. And so in, in, in the um, original Olympic Games, when they would bring the three winners up, and they would give them an award. They stood on a platform. You know how they do this, right? The gold's always on top, and then the silver here, and then the bronze here. That was called the bema in Greek. It was basically you coming and saying, here's what I did with what you gave me, and God is now rewarding you for it. So the answer to the question is, is this. If you want to know like, how, how to pass this test, the answer is, I did the best I could with what you gave me. That's how you answer that. Because eventually you get, you get into heaven, but some of y'all will get into heaven and not have a lot. And other people are going to get into heaven and they're going to have rewards galore. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you need to think about this. Where do you spend most of your time as a living being? Here or in heaven? Yeah, it's heaven. By an incomprehensible margin. Like, you can't even fathom what that's like. You've got a tiny, tiny sliver of a window here, but then you've got forever there. And some of us spend our whole lives getting as many toys, getting as many treasures, storing up as much stuff as we have here, and we have not thought about what's actually going to be rewarded us to us there. Does that make sense? Some of you are so focused on how much is in your 401k, but have nothing to reward you when you get to heaven. You're spending all your cool stuff here, ain't going to have no cool stuff there. Are you tracking with me here so far? So this is this idea that, that ultimately, watch this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. I'm sorry, let, let me back that up. The, the, the goal is this, I don't want to jump too far ahead here. The, the goal is life is this. The goal in life is to answer these two questions to the best of your ability. What did you do with Jesus? Hey, I had a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus knows me. I know him. And that is the starting point of all of my life. And everything flows out of that. It is the most important thing. But the next question is simply this. Well, what did you do then with what I gave you? And will you give an account for that? And what you want to do is be able to stand before God and say, hey, I did the best I could with what God gave me. Last week, we pointed to a woman. I want you to think about this. We pointed to a woman who had a legacy moment and she stepped into it and she broke open an alabaster jar which would have cost about one year's wage worth of income. That was an extravagant gift. I want you to think about that for a minute. Could you ever muster up the courage to say, hey, this was my annual income. I'm going to give all of that in one single offering and act of extravagant worship to Jesus. That would just blow our minds. That was incredible. Everybody say, but. But there's also this other woman at a different point in time, Jesus is watching kind of the offering time at a church, and he notices a poor woman who only has two small copper coins. She doesn't have a year's worth of wage. She doesn't have a wage. And the Bible says that she gave these last two copper coins. It was the only thing she had to her whole livelihood. And Jesus stops the whole thing and says, did you guys see that? That was incredible. I just want you to see that God doesn't, God doesn't judge you based on like how much you gave or how much you did or he judges you based on what did you do with what i gave you meaning that god has a scale system god doesn't look at one person and then look at the other person and judge them exactly the same it's a unique thing it's what did you do 
with what I gave you. Because not everybody starts, can we all admit, not everybody starts off in life the same place? Some of us start out with incredible obstacles, incredible difficulties, incredible setbacks. Others start off with incredible opportunities and, and, and resources and all these different things. And so God just doesn't look at everybody the same. He looks at you individually, but the answer is still ultimately this. I did the best I could with what God gave me. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do this, and we're going to wrap up here. The key word to you kind of nailing this last question is the word intentional. It's, it's the key word. You can't give your best with what God's giving you unless you actually have a focus to it and you're intentional. And so I want to give you three things here that I need you to like hone in on and focus on and think about because here's the deal. As your pastor, I want you to be fully prepared. I want to give you the, the questions to the test. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. And then I want you to dive into them. And the first thing I want you to do is this. Is this word intentional? I want you to intentionally give what you have. And I mean in the realm of like resources. There is something about your generosity. There is something about all the resources that you have. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says this. It says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous, generous on every occasion. And through us, our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So God's just saying, hey, I want you to know like you're blessed. Now, everybody's blessed to different degrees and margins and measures, but hey, you're blessed. Hey, the fact that you live in America, I'm going to tell you right now, you're blessed. If, if you've never traveled to a third world country, you don't know. You're blessed, I promise. The poorest people in America are typically more blessed than most other places in the world. I'm telling you, it's just something radical to go to a third world country and see people living in the most dire and destitute of situations. It's a different thing. Hey, most of you, you're here right now in a, in a building that has indoor plumbing and controlled air conditioning and heating. You go home to places that have refrigerators with prepackaged food stored and waiting for you. You have all these things that other parts of the world, they would dream, they would give away limbs if they could get your life. You're, you're generous out of all the resources that God has given you. I don't know what God's given. God's given some of you time. God's given you the ability to think. God's given you the ability to work. God's given you the ability to do, the mind, the creativity. God's given you resources. Yeah, that includes your finances. God has blessed you so that you can be generous on every occasion that God puts in front of you. But I want you to know, everybody say intentional. God does not ask spontaneous giving of you. I want you to think about that. Now, there's times where they did it in the Bible, and there's times where God moves on your heart, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go. But what God, think about it. All of Scripture teaches you what? intentional giving. That's why the Bible always taught percentage giving. He goes, no, no, this is a pre-thought. This is a pre-decision. This is something you budgeted, you made a decision on, and you got out ahead of. Like your giving shouldn't be spontaneous. It should be pre-planned, premeditated, and percentage-based giving. That's intentional. And I'll, I'll help you out. Okay, as, as a person who's been a leader in the church since he was basically 19 years old, I just know how churches operate. They don't operate really well on spontaneous giving. That's not how they work because they have to think, they have to plan, they have to budget, they have to, they have to do all these things. It's intentional giving. Watch this. Number two is this, is I will intentionally serve others. Again, you have gifts and abilities and talent and time. You ought to be able to leverage those things to make a difference in the lives of somebody else. Watch this scripture. Matthew 20, verse 26. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, be your slave. And just as the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. 
I want you to know that when it comes to like this question, this, this judgment seat, this test, what did you do with what I gave you? One of the things that will be called into account is like, hey, what did you do with your time, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities? That's important because what God wants you to do is with intentionality leverage all of these things for kingdom purposes, for life-changing purposes, for eternal purposes. What's the only thing that gets from this life into heaven? It's people. And that stuff is, is put into motion and all those things are done and built and changed and accomplished through when you give of your time and your money and your resources and all these things. And I want you to know this too, like, like Janine who runs all of our preschool stuff or Delano who runs all the different volunteers in different places, they don't work off of spontaneous serving. They don't show up here on a Sunday morning and be like, wow, I wonder who's going to show I wonder who felt spontaneous this morning. I wonder who just woke up at 7 o'clock and felt inspired to come and set up chairs. Nobody does that. There were people that made a plan and a decision and they carved out a specific thing and they made a commitment at a certain level and say, hey, I'm going to serve intentionally. Last one is this, number three, is I will share Christ intentionally. Again, what's the only thing that matters in this world that actually gets to heaven? It's people. So many of us have taken our personal relationship with God, our faith in God, and we made it private. Let me help you out here. Your relationship with God was never meant to be private. It was meant to be personal, never meant to be private. And when you make it a purpose, and let me tell you how you make this intentional. You make it intentional by basically inviting people into your life that you know are far away from God and saying, how can I love them? How can I pray for them? How can I, when the moment presents itself, share my faith, tell my story, invite them to church? But like an intentional person is always out there trying to connect with people who are away from God so that they can love them, pray for them, and help them connect to the same God that you have put your faith in. This is a big deal to your Heavenly Father. Watch this. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Like, I, I just, I want, I want you to get this radical idea. There's some exceptional stories out there where somebody, like, gave their heart to God purely out of, like, this random experience. But the vast, vast, vast majority of people who turn towards God and put their faith in Jesus, they do so because they were connected by another human being. I, I, let me put it like this. You are God's plan. There is no plan B. It's you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your crazy hairdresser, all them people. It's you. Watch this, another one. Luke 14, 23. Jesus is saying, go out into the country and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. Now, I, I know like some of y'all are weird. Because some of y'all are like, well, I, I don't want people coming in and taking my church seat. Because y'all like to sit in the same place and y'all like, and then you come in and dare, dare, dare somebody sit in your seat and be like, man, you better get up out of here. God's not like you. God wants it full. He wants his house full. He wants kids running around everywhere. He wants there to be a, just like a packed house. There is no like, well, it was a little uncomfortable or there was too many people or, oh, it was a little bit too big or, oh, it was a little bit. No, no, God wants the house Full. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to who? Everyone. I want you to go everywhere to try to tap into everyone. I want you to go everywhere, because in the middle there's this great news. It's incredible, and it's this. It's that you don't have to pay for your sins. Jesus paid for them. Isn't that awesome news? That when you stand before the judgment seat, the white throne judgment, you don't have to give an account for your sins. 
Jesus already paid them all. Your name is found in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know about you, but that's the best news I've ever received in my entire life is that Jesus paid it all. And he's saying, I want you to make sure that you go to everywhere so that you might reach everyone because that's some really, really good news. Do you know why this is so important? This is so important because there is more to this life than this life. There's more. We don't always think legacy-minded. We don't always think eternal-minded. But like, I'm telling you this. You live here for a sliver. You live there forever after. What you do in this life matters so much because God is looking and saying, what are, they le- are they leveraging their time and their resources and their abilities so that they can store up incredible treasures in heaven? That only happens when you become a legacy-minded person. There's more to this life than this life. There's more. I know because it's easy to get caught up and get stressed out and live in the worry and live in the fear and live in the doubt and live in the here and the now. I'm telling you, there is so much more to this life than what you can see. There's so much more beyond this life than what you can ever even comprehend. Watch, I'll prove it to you. Last scripture. I think I've said that five times. Ecclesiastes 3.11. We're done, I promise. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God wants you to be eternally minded. He wants you to be legacy minded. He wants you to think about the long term. Some of y'all been planning for like the long term. God's saying, I want you to plan for the really, really long term. I want you to, you ever, you ever wonder why we always think about, like somebody in our church just recently like, asking me questions about what happens when you die and what about this and in heaven, what about this? Why are they curious about all that stuff? Why is that one of the most common questions I get as a pastor? Because God set eternity in our hearts. We're just thinking about it. You ever wonder why you, like, you go to a funeral and all of a sudden you have these like, moments, these epiphanies, you're like, oh my gosh. You start thinking about life after death. And like, why? Because he set eternity in your heart. It's in your heart. God put it there. Every human being has the thought or the curiosity or the wonder of what happens beyond this life. And I want you to know as your pastor, I'm telling you what's on the test and I'm even giving you the answers. He has set eternity in your heart so that you could turn towards Jesus and then after turning towards Jesus, turn to the whole world and try to connect the two together because God wants you to leave a legacy. Let's pray this morning. I want you to take 30, 40 seconds here on your own. I want you to begin to pray. God, what is it that I need to do? For many and most of you, you've already turned towards Jesus, but the question for you is, it's like, what do I need to do? How can I do the best I can with what you've given me? God, will will you give me a creative idea? Will you help me to be eternally minded? Will you help me be resourceful? God, what is it that I could be doing that I'm not doing? What is it that I should be doing? that I've missed. God, what would you have me do with all of my time and resources? What can I do to make a difference in the life of someone else? For some of you in here, though, the most important question is the first question. And if you're in here today and you're like, okay, I I didn't know there was a test. That that was a pop thing to me. I'm telling you there's a test. And the biggest question and the first question is, is how will you respond to Jesus? And if you're in here, please dial into me right now. If you're in here today and if you have never turned in your heart towards God and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want your forgiveness. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I'm telling you it is the most important decision you will ever make. 
And if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I need to take care of that first one and I need to take care of it right now, then I want to give you an opportunity just to say yes to God and I'll help you in that. And so on the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up in the air just as a sign to between me and you and God to say, you know what? I want to answer that first question right now. I want to get that out of the way. I want to make sure that Jesus knows that I want him in my life. If that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, and slip your hand up in the air. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I want to pass that test. I want to get that thing taken care of. Hey, and it's more than just raising your hand and saying a prayer. It's it's about a lifelong journey of saying, God, I want you in my life. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. I want us to do this together as a church. We're going to pray a prayer out loud together, and we're all going to do it together. But those of you who raised your hand, I want you to pray this from the bottom of your heart. I'm going to lead you in this real simple prayer. Everybody say this with me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. Help me, Lord, to know you to open up my life so that you know me. Help me to follow you today and every day for the rest of my life. I thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. Thank you, Lord. It is in your name that I pray. And give me the best amen you got. Amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.